And we are live. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are on Genesis 20. Nine. I'm super stoked. There's a lot going on in this chapter, and I think it's going to be a fun one. I'm already, I was a little tickled preparing my notes for this lesson a couple times. Yep. Um, yep. That doesn't happen with that doesn't happen with every chapter. Just to be clear, what, what was that, Justin? Popping out babes at the end of this chapter. That's true. That's true. There's some babes at the end of this one. So. Hold on to your hats, everybody. Um, yep. Justin, do you want to get us kicked off in yes, chapter I 29, do. verse 1? Yep. Then Jacob set out on his journey, and he went to the land of the people of the east. He looked and saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep were lying there beside it, because they watered the flocks from that well. Now the stone on the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, they would roll the stone from the mouth of the wall and water the sheep. Then they would put the stone back in its place on the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. So he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. And he said to them, is it well with him? And they said, it is well. And here is his daughter, Rachel, coming with the sheep. Then he said, look, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered. And they roll the stone from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. A couple things to note here is Jacob's reached pretty much the end of his journey here. I mean, he's pretty much in Haran at this point. He has traveled a very, very far distance. I did some research between this chapter and the last chapter, and it looks like he traveled around 450, maybe 500 miles to ultimately get to this location. And that's walking. Or maybe he had some other type of you know, device to ultimately get there, but it, we don't know. It doesn't, he didn't say he was riding a horse or anything like that or camel or whatever they were riding back then. That's a long travel distance. Um, I'm thinking this probably took, based upon some research, maybe somewhere between two and four weeks, maybe about a month. My guess would be about a month. And um, just to kind of summarize what also happened here, Jacob gets to this, gets really close to his destination sees some shepherds and their sheep and they're all congregating around this well in which the sheep are going to drink out of in order to continue on living so as we've learned in previous chapters wells were extremely important and they're all congregated around that looks like there's a really big stone as well that involves multiple people to remove it yeah, I wanted to address some stuff uh, okay. through the first couple of verses. So God promised uh, Jacob descendants when he met him at Bethel. And so now we kind of have this Jacob's next step is to find a woman who he can make descendants with, right? So now he's kind of on this mission. 
so interesting there's a parallel here so um jacob is meeting rachel similarly to how eliezer met rebecca which was jacob's mother um right at this well and taking care of the flock yeah and so kind of a parallel there and so uh haran is where laban lived and so one of the cool things in, in god's sovereignty we see here that like really soon after jacob shows up and is like hey you guys know who who Levon is, they're like, yeah, and his daughter's walking up now, right? So we see that uh, Rachel uh, walks up very quickly, uh, or, or relatively quickly, after Jacob gets there and establishes if the, he's in the right place. And so also, uh, Levon was actually Nahor's grandson uh, instead of just son, but that was just what they used to talk about just in the, in the, you know, in the family lineage. Um you know, I see this, obviously, this is a historical account of two relatives meeting in ancient times. And so um, I want to say cousins, cousins. Yep, we're going to you're going to have to tackle that. Um, <laughs> so I want to say to all my awkward bros out there who uh, don't do this, don't 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 meet a girl kiss her and start crying this is not this is not prescriptive this is descriptive uh, this is another culture um and so it appears here uh so rachel is his future wife who is also his cousin uh, <laughs> don't kiss your cousin either by the way yeah <laughs> you forgot to mention that <laughs> i did i did so look in this culture and in, in times uh this was uh, uh you know this was permitted allowed um uh obviously we have our ways we feel about that uh but um so but a kiss was a proper greeting uh to to a relative in those times and then also the the crying would have been like the fact that he's seeing these relatives so he's never met these relatives um this is the first time and so it's kind of like meeting some distant relatives for the first time meeting his uncle and his cousins and that kind of stuff. It's a, uh, it's an exciting moment for him because he left a place that was no longer home and he's now finding a, a new home. And, and so, um, yeah, the couple different things going on. So do on you there. think, I mean, so you don't think him kissing Rachel had anything to do with him being and crying and weeping. I mean, you think, you don't think that has anything to do with the fact that Rachel was a beautiful woman woman which we'll read more lately later yeah i don't know it, it could have been i i feel like um was kissing your girls i mean so based upon what my reading kissing a girl you don't read a whole lot about that in the bible you know what i mean mm -hmm. whether she's your cousin like a girl that wasn't your wife i guess in particular and so this seems, unless you know of any other examples of kissing a girl that you just well, meet. No. Right. So I think that other, you mean you're, I think these, these ancient, well, I think other cultures around the world today, um, you know, kissing on the cheek is a greeting, yeah, right. That exists that, that Americans are not comfortable with. Um, but yeah, so based on what I read, this would be a way that you would greet family. Okay. It, it well, was it because he was attracted to her. Uh, maybe I, I, I tend to think, um, I guess I still tend to lean maybe away from this was 
what you did when you saw a girl you liked, because in those times, you know, the, the marriage would have been arranged and it wasn't, it wasn't a dating culture. Right. So it wasn't so much as like, I see a girl I like, I want to go pursue her. So the idea that he, which we see in just a little bit, he had to work these arrangements out with uh, Levon, Rachel's father. And so anyway, that's, that's my perspective. I don't, you know, the Bible doesn't say I'm not a hundred percent sure. That's just where I lean right now. Right. Yeah. I don't think, uh, you're right. This could have been, no matter how attractive Rachel was, it's possible that he would have kissed her and wept all the same. It probably, my guess is it probably didn't hurt that he was very, that she was very attractive to him. I'm guessing that doesn't hurt. Yeah, definitely don't recommend any of you fellas crying or anything like that when you meet a girl that you like, though, even though that has nothing to do with this. <laughs> I agree. The, 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 this element of scripture is not a strategy of how to talk to girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, not that I would know. I'm not the expert here. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm really relying upon Justin's, no, no. Justin's experience. <laughs> <laughs> experience here uh <laughs> no no here's the thing what we're doing henry we can tell you what not to do not what that's to right. do that's right yeah that's right that's right Look, we know we've learned okay when you meet a pretty girl don't kiss her and start crying that's okay? what we, that, that doesn't work you know <laughs> see i haven't tried that yet you know so i'm i'm just guessing it doesn't work you know I mean? yeah well you don't need to try it because it doesn't work <laughs> <laughs> sounds like Sounds like you know a little bit from experience here. I think that's great. Well, um, we won't have to get into the details. Don't answer yes or no to that. Um, let's just keep going. We'll leave the mystery the mystery out there. Put in the chat if you think uh, Justin's cried and <laughs> kissed the girl upon first meeting. Uh, let us know. We'd love to, uh, love to know that. So... Uh, <laughs> I wish there was like a survey button. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um. So when Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Then he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, you certainly are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me. What shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. And Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in figure and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than to give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him like only a few days because of his love for her. That is, that is, rom that is romance. Love. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to skip the romance part because I don't know nothing about that. I'll leave that to you. Um, but yeah, um, there is some interesting language here. First off, Laban kisses, um, Jacob as well. So there does seem to be some type of cultural, you know, experience where you do kiss, you know, your family in which, 
you know, that exists in cultures today as well. Yeah, if you go over the Middle East, the dude will definitely kiss you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think in, does that happen in uh, Latin America as well? In my experience in Latin America, dudes don't kiss dudes so much. I mean, I, I'm not saying it's unheard of. It's more of, I thought, a greeting for like a cross-gender situation. I could be wrong. But I know I know at least in, in Lebanon um, that, that dudes will kiss their dudes on the cheek just as like a greeting. Um, and, and other areas, other countries surrounding that area, it is common. So Right, right. Maybe someone can educate us on this, on which countries do this and don't. Um, but I do think it's uh, interesting what Laban says here in verse 14. Justin, you want to read that real quick? Yes, I do. And Laban said to him, you certainly are bone, are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. I agree. I was thinking about that as well. That uh, sounds a little familiar. Where have you heard that before, Henry? <laughs> well, this sounds pretty similar to when... God ultimately took a rib from Adam and created Eve. And that is in chapter 2, yeah. uh, verse 23. Then the man said, at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So I thought that was uh, interesting. Um Laban seems to know the history of his people going back to Adam is what I take from reading that. He knows about that oral Bible. That's right. He knows about the oral Bible. And also, I find it very interesting how quickly Jacob grows an affinity to Rachel. Um, it's very clear in verse 17. In Leah's eyes were weak, but Atra was beautiful in figure and appearance. And so there's this contrast made between Leah, Laban's older daughter, and Rachel, Laban's younger daughter. And Laban is described as being, as, as described as having eyes that are weak justin what does that mean it appears um leah's eyes were weak means that she was not pretty so <laughs> she she was not beautiful that this could for based on what i read there are a couple different interpretations of what this could mean all of them ended up with meaning though that she was not pretty um right. and so with that though we see that the wives of abraham isaac and jacob were all beautiful right which that's awesome. Um, and, and with that, I'd like to say that I think that beauty and, and the American culture today has been, um, in a sense, downplayed. And I'm not talking about um, there, there are negative ways in, in which our culture embraces beauty. But there are ways I feel like that the American church has not valued it. I feel like that too many people I've talked with have talked about, you know, well, beauty fades and like character and all this kind of stuff. And absolutely. I mean, but the thing is they want to, too many people I've talked with ignore the verses about, about beauty in the Bible. I mean, there are multiple women. The Bible just talks about how beautiful they are. 
right? And so, I mean, okay, so Genesis, like the Sarah, right? Abraham's wife, multiple verses talked about how amazingly beautiful she was. Multiple times, Abraham knew, hey, remember he kept lying, like, hey, look, this lady is so beautiful, they're going to try to kill me for her. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, and I think there's this weakness in our church today where we don't want to value beauty. Um, we just want to act like character, you know, is the only thing that matters. And, and the Bible values both, right? The, the Bible values beauty and character. But there's an inconsistency with people who do that because um, God is the creator of beauty. And, and if you, you believe in God, you believe the Bible, you believe that there's an objective standard of beauty. And so what, what I found when I've dialogued with atheists is the most consistent atheist will actually say beauty is subjective because they can't say it's subjective because that would mean that there's an objective standard to measure it by. And I'm saying the objective standard at which we measure beauty by is God and his creation, right? Because God, beyond just women, the Bible talks about God's creation being beautiful, right? And so God is the creator of beauty. And so I think when the modern American church downplays beauty and only wants to focus on character, I think they're making an error. Um, I think that we Obviously, we should appreciate character. That's hugely important. But to downplay beauty like it doesn't matter uh, and all this kind of stuff, I mean, this is, you're, this is God's creation. And, and it does matter. And once again, it's a, it's a dialogue point with, with atheists. Um, now, that's not to say that subjective beauty doesn't exist. Subjective beauty does exist within the, the, the spectrum of objective beauty. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I would just add one more thing to this section. I mean, Jacob's working seven years. I mean, he is head over heels for this girl. You know what I mean? And he seems to come right out. I mean, I don't, it doesn't look like there's a whole lot of negotiation. You know what I mean? Laban seems like a businessman. And as soon as he hears Jacob say seven years, he's like, yes, yes, yes. That sounds like a pretty good deal, you know? Um, and so... And of course, you see Jacob talking about how it only seems like a few days, which I mean, he's probably going to know her. And this is a really exciting time. And um, I can imagine that I can imagine if, you know, he, he sounds like he was just head over heels for this girl. Absolutely crazy in love. Seven years would not feel like a few days for I mean, seven years is a long time. So, okay. Yeah. Also, uh, disclaimer, we're not, once again, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. We're not advising that anyone date for seven years. So anyway, there's this is, that. <laughs> this, I definitely don't, <laughs> I definitely don't recommend that either. Um, so yeah, nailed it. Man, a lot of nailed little, it. lot of nuggets in here. A lot of little yeah. nuggets. It's all, all, all the things don't do. Don't do these things, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Verse 21, Justin. Let's do it. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, for my time is completed, that I may have relations with her. So Laban gathered all the people of the place and held a feast. Now in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to him, and Jacob had relations with her. Laban also gave his female slave Zilpah 
to his daughter Leah as a slave. So it came about in the morning that behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served with you? Why then have you deceived me? But Laban said, it is not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also for the service which you shall serve with me for another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week, and he gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife. Laban also gave his female slave Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her slave. So Jacob had relations with Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban for another seven years. Yeah, this is absolutely crazy, crazy situation. I mean, this is a tough situation right here. I mean, you have to put this in perspective. Jacob just got done working for seven years, ultimately to marry Rachel. And it seems to, to me that they remained abstinent during this time. They had not had any relations because, in verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for, for my time is complete that I may have relations with her. So it seems like they remained abstinent during this time and that Jacob is now ready to get married. Which also I want to say that that's not, once again, that's not advisable to maybe go to a future father-in-law and say, hey, let me marry your daughter so that I can have relations with her. Yeah. Yeah. It oh, worked at this time in culture. I don't think it's ideal for modern day America though. This is, this is true. I think there might, <laughs> I'm guessing the dad doesn't want to get that in, in depth. Well, it might be true. You don't want to get too in depth on that. So, <laughs> right. Not everything you think you should say. <laughs> that's that's right. Not to say that that's a sin either. Right? You know, that's, that's no, not I, a, it's I, just, it's just not something yeah. that you need to maybe vocalize. Right. Hey, you know what? Me and Henry have friends that sometimes we're all sitting around and we're all thinking the same thing, but we're glad that they said it. That's and right. Not us. That's right. That's right. We're more, we're more listeners in those situations. Um, and then you find a situation in which an old switcheroo tactic comes into play. They just get done having this epic feast. It's nighttime. And Jacob thinks he's going to bed with Rachel when in fact Laban specifically sends in his daughter, Leah, the girl that Jacob is not in love with, the girl that Jacob did not work for seven years for. And Leah is taken into his bedroom and he ultimately has relations with her, not Rachel. Justin, how could this have happened? It's a great question. So I want to say that uh, before getting to that, so, so Jacob the deceiver 
now becomes deceived uh, when Laban did this, right? When Laban gave him Leah as a wife instead of Rachel. So in that culture, um, so the, him working for seven years in that culture, it was common for the groom to pay the father a dowry or a price um, in order to marry his daughter. And so Jacob's dowry here was to work for Laban for seven years. So <clears throat> addressing how this happened, it's possible that Laban had Rachel show up at the ceremony, but then had Jacob drink a lot and then actually ended up switching it and sending Leah to his room that night instead of Rachel in order to consummate the marriage. Or it's possible that uh, Rachel never even showed up and Laban just had Leah veiled through the whole thing, through the ceremony, and then had him drinking and then at nighttime sent him into the, to the room together. So I'm not, I mean, it could have been one of those two. It could have been something else. Either way, Laban was uh, a better deceiver than Jacob. Um, my this, my so. guess from what you're saying, to me, alcohol would have to be involved in this situation. Yeah, I would think so too. And number two, I suspect the room in which they went to consummate the marriage was dark. Yeah. I'm guessing both of those situations would mm -hmm. have to be the case because I don't care how drunk someone is. Like, I mean, Jacob clearly here doesn't find out until the next morning. morning. So it came about in the morning that behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is it that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served with you? Why have you deceived me? And you mentioned earlier that there's some deception going on here. With regards to the deception, what is this reminiscent of? You know, I think this is reminiscent of what Jacob just did. So when Jacob was at home, he lied about the identity of his sibling, right? And now Laban is lying about the the identity of his daughters, you know, of the two siblings um, of his two children. And so we definitely see here that uh, uh, I, I think God's discipline is in play here. Um, and God's using Laban to discipline Jacob and kind of a, a reap what you sow type scenario. After all Jacob's deception, he's, he's met a deceiver uh, even more clever than himself. And so he's kind of dealing with, with all that. Yeah. Um, Jacob, I mean, just to flesh that out a little bit more, Jacob had just got done deceiving his father into thinking his father, Isaac, into thinking that he was Esau instead of actually being Jacob. And so Isaac had it in his mind to give the blessing Esau and his father's eyes were very weak at this time he couldn't see well and so his father had to rely on senses such as touch hearing and taste and Jacob ended up convincing his father that he was Esau when he in fact wasn't Esau so it's interesting to this deception also is kind of a deception of the senses as well Jacob was drunk Likely you couldn't see in the marital bedroom. In the same way, 
his father couldn't see him. So there's there's definitely some retribution here that um, is very deser deserving of Jacob to receive, and it costs him dear, and it costs him dearly. Yes. So we see here, um, as Henry had said earlier in this video, that uh, Laban was a, a businessman, and so he seems to be, in my opinion, wanting to ensure that he was going to receive a dowry for Leah, the older daughter. And so when he tricked Jacob here, he he assured that he would receive a dowry for, for Leah here. So he's definitely focused on the money that he can make and, and being a, a shrewd businessman um, in reference to that. But so following this in this section we just read, uh, so Jacob married Leah, but then seven days later, so the following week, Jacob got to marry Rachel as well. And then he had to work another seven years for, um, for Rachel as the, as the dowry. And so it was common in those times uh, that a father might give his, his daughter a, a, one of the servants um, as a wedding gift. And we see that here. Yeah. I mean, seven more years. That's not... My guess is the first seven years went a lot faster than the second seven years because ultimately he was tricked into the second seven years. Yeah, but he did get his he did get to marry Rachel just a week after, so he didn't have to work another seven years before marrying her. This is so. true. So he got to marry he got to marry both of them simultaneously after the first seven years, but then he has to work another seven years. Who knows what Jacob's plans were? Right. Jacob probably didn't want to stick around for another. his plans probably weren't like, hey, let me stick around here for another seven years. I mean, his plans were, hey, let me get all my stuff, go back home. We don't know this for sure, but he probably missed his family, wanted to go back and see his parents and whatnot. Who knows? But the second seven years were definitely would just be my it's like going on a vacation. Right. The trip over there, everyone's super excited. Man, I can't wait to be there. The trip back, you're like, oh, when's this, when, when are we going to get home finally? And then I think we see some pretty tough stuff in verse 30. So Jacob had relations with Rachel also, and indeed he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban for another seven years. So we see this love. We see some, some aspects of... Uh, favoritism coming up here. Maybe we could talk about more that more when we get into the next section, though. So verse 31, Now the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, and he opened her womb, but Rachel was unable to have children. Leah conceived and gave birth to a son and named him Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. Then she conceived again, and gave birth to a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. So she named him Simeon and she conceived again and gave birth to a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore he was named Levi. And she conceived again and gave birth to a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Yeah, so with this section, um, just starting out, so we see that 
Rachel, like both Sarah and Rebecca, went through times of barrenness. Um, and it does not appear, in reference to Leah, it doesn't appear that Jacob was concerned about her pain. Um, but we see that God noticed her pain. The, the text says that. And, and one of the things that, one of the ways Leah was blessed is that the children listed here, um, well, all of Jacob's children are, are the start of uh, the, the tribes of Israel. But there are two very significant tribes that come uh, here from, from Leah. The first one mentioned was Levi. So this is the tribe of the, the priests. So all through, or, or, you know, getting through the rest of the Old Testament, we see the tribe of Levi, which is, which is the priest, which are the mediators for the relationship between man and God. Um, so they play a significant role uh, in, in the facilitating uh, of that fellowship with God. But more important than that, we see the tribe of Judah, um, which is the line of kings. And it's ultimately, uh, this is the line that Jesus comes from, and he's kind of a big deal. So uh, we see here how even in this pain, um, some cool things are coming out of it. Yeah. I think we can also parallel the favoritism that Isaac and Rebecca had for their children to this Isaac favored Esau and Rebecca favored Jacob. And it seems that favoritism passed down to Jacob as well. So I think this would really be a word of caution of, you know, people within your family do your best to love equally the best you can, even though you might be more naturally inclined to love one person more than another. I would also add that this is a perfect example of someone being married yet still feeling unloved, which is a really tough thing. Um, me and Justin have been involved in single life for many, many years. And I think people are definitely <laughs> not that many years. Okay, guys, <laughs> but some, some amount of years, I think people are eager around us, the singles, to get married. And in that eagerness, they might make a decision to marry somebody that may or may not be the best person to marry. And so I've heard many people say um, in the past that you can still be married and still feel alone. So lonely marriage doesn't necessarily cure loneliness. It doesn't necessarily cure a feeling of being unloved. And this is a perfect example of that. I mean, she is over and over and over again, being very clear that her desire is to be loved by her husband. And it sounds like she's doing her best to do everything about that. And she seems to be somewhat unsuccessful at least for the first three, because why would she keep bringing it up? On the fourth birth, verse 35, and she conceived again and gave birth to a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. It doesn't mention the desire to be loved by her husband. So maybe Jacob wised up at that point, or maybe she gave up. Maybe she realized, hey, God loves me. And, you know, the love of my husband is something that she gave up on. You know, that that's quite possible. Yeah. Um, 
I agree, man. That was a, a tough spot to be in. I would just add one more thing. Okay. Well, Jacob was definitely wrong here to not love Leah. He also was tricked into marrying her. So that's, <laughs> I mean, he never, he never wanted to marry her to begin with. You know what I mean? It's the impression I get. And now it's like, so it's a, it's a tough situation, right? It's, it's not like he chose her married her and then didn't love her you know what i mean it's more like he got tricked into marrying her but either way i mean he he definitely could have done a better job here and been more thoughtful closing thoughts justin yes so first of all um you know we reap what we sow right so jacob participated in deception with his 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 family his father and his brother and uh, he got it dealt back to him when he met uh, homeboy Levon. So <laughs> he did. Um, we reap what we sow. That's definitely a biblical principle that we're uh, God, um, you know, he, 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 you know, punishes. Right. And so, but I do want to say also in this chapter, I see a lot of uh, uh, carrying on despite discouragement, which I think is really important. So, so, even after Jacob was deceived, he continued on. He kind of he continues to have this 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 passion or zealousness, even after all the deception. He seems to still be a hard worker, still be moving forward, still staying the path, right? Because of God's promises, and so I see that. But more so, I really admired Leah uh, in this chapter because Leah clings to God, and I, I really appreciate all the things you said about what she was going through, Henry. Um, and so, you know, during those hard times, because uh, we're all going to go through hard times, we can either push away from God or go towards God, right? And so one of the things I like is like you talked about, so in verse 35, and she conceived again and gave birth to a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. And so I think that in life, there are going to be times when, um, well, the Lord gives a lot of blessings that we experience here on earth and it's natural to want those. And it's awesome when God blesses us, but I think there might be times in our life when we just are going to need to take pleasure and God alone. I think there are going to be extremely discouraged situations. Uh, and I think that's what she was doing in this one. I think she was realizing, Hey, you know what? my external circumstances are not going to change, even though it's reasonable and it's human to want these things to change. Um, I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to find contentment in God alone, even though these difficult circumstances have not changed. And so one of the things I think of uh, when I'm reminded of this is in the gospels, when Jesus talks about, um, you know, I, I think he's making a reference to the, the Lord's supper and his upcoming sacrifice and uh, the crowd is like, man, the crowd walks away <clears throat> and, and they're like, how can we believe these words? And so Jesus turns to his disciples who found those words to be very, very hard as well. And he's like, are, are you going to walk away true? And Peter, are, are you going to walk away as well? And Peter said, Lord, where else do we have to go? Like you have the words of life, like, you know, you are God. And so uh, I, I think that that's a great attitude. And I think that uh, we need to be doing what we can to build our strength and our walk with the Lord 
And we need to have a big God before we have big problems because we're going to have big problems. It's inevitable in, in this fallen world that we live in. And so I, I, I think Leah came to uh, a wise spot here. And um, I like how she clinged to her faith, though. And uh, with this, she was rewarded. Like Leah um, is in the lineage of Christ, right? And so in that moment, Obviously, she was upset about not being loved by her husband, but long term, like, you know, she is in the lineage of Christ, and that's a very big deal. And so I think that's something I try to remember when going through discouraging times that um, if I stay the course, that God will be glorified on my life. Like it, it also says in the New Testament, um, he was started a good work in you will be faithful to finish. And so the idea is obviously a lot of times we don't have external circumstances turn out the way we want them to. Um, but if we stay the course of trying to walk faithfully with God, I believe God still can get glory from our lives, even if sometimes certain circumstances don't ever get resolved the way you want them to. Yeah, totally. Well, I'll just echo that. Um, Really appreciate everyone joining us. Lot going on here. Uh, we saw kind of a whole courtship during this entire chapter, and we kind of saw some good that can come out and some some bad as well. Um, so, just a word of uh, word of caution for you fellas. Just uh, you know, don't don't do what. Don't do what Justin did with the crying. <laughs> try to cry when you meet girls. <laughs> try to cry when you meet girls. That's right. Yeah. Guys, it's a pleasure. See you all in chapter 30. Hope you have an amazing, wonderful day. Peace out.